Before Shopify, were you wondering, where my sales at? Now you're selling with Shopify, the global commerce platform supercharging your selling. You have no problem selling online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Gary, easy on the cha-ching. <clears throat> oh, sorry, but my Shopify sales are through the roof. Start selling with Shopify today and discover how millions of businesses around the world use Shopify to ignite their selling. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Shopify.com slash listen. Hello and welcome to the Indie Rugby Podcast in association with Tudor Watches, the official timekeepers of the Rugby World Cup. I'm your host Jack Dimonazes and joining me today is Samuel Lovett. Hello. We'll be bringing you all the news and action from the 2019 Rugby World Cup, as well as giving you a flavour of what's going on in Japan. A little later in the show, we'll take a look at some of the heavyweights expected to do well. But before that, let's talk about the home nations. So Sam, I guess we should take a look at England first. Well, I mean, Jack, given you've been covering the England beat for the past four years, surely it makes sense for me to ask you, um, where do you think the sides stand heading to Japan? And uh, what is the progress that has been made since uh, Eddie Jones took over? I think it's very easy to break this down into three phases and that first two years of success, particularly in the Six Nations and the unbeaten run, was very much phase one. We knew that Eddie just put wins above everything else. There was a team team selected to get England back on track post-World Cup in 2016. They produced the Grand Slam. They got a series win in Australia. I think that probably surpassed expectations, which mm. hindered them a little bit going forward. 2017 was always going to be the Lions' year. They knew it'd be disruptive. But then we started to see the problems emerge, and that's where Phase 2 really kicked in. Uh, We saw 2018, a lot of what England were trying to build fell apart, and a lot of the game plans they had in place and the players that they had in place, they weren't working anymore. We saw the Six Nations defeats. We saw a game plan that wasn't adequate to compete with others. And... Basically, that's the start of phase two. We saw a lot of players get cut out and a lot of new players come in. And it, Eddie basically went through and made a bit of his own yeah. World Cup selection process at that point. I was going to say that it's good to have those issues come to the fore then in 2018, you know, when Jones has got time to iron out sort of the, those nitty details that need to be addressed. Definitely. And I think that was something he adapted to. That That's something I've been quite impressed with throughout this kind of four-year cycle, that he came in with a very definitive plan, but that wasn't part of it. He yeah. thought the likes of Chris Robshaw, Danny Kerr, Mike Brown, Dylan Hartley, James Haskell, these guys were going to get him to the World Cup and suddenly they weren't. Mm. And he needed to react to that. And he blooded not just Jamie George, but Luke Cowan Dickey. We then saw other players coming in, t- Tom Curry, Sam Underhill, mm-hmm. who now I, I think are very much a revelation of a back row yeah. for England. Absolutely. And across the board, we've, now, certainly in phase three, we've seen some names come from nowhere. We, we talk about rugby World Cup bolters, but I think there's about three or four that can be considered bolters in this England yeah. squad. But phase three has brought back success. Uh, even though England didn't win the Six Nations and missed out on the Grand Slam, I think it was a good tournament for them. Yeah. The performances were really good and you're never going to knock losing in Cardiff if it also counts with winning in Dublin. Yeah. You know that, that was a great notch for England to get. Yeah. Which brings us to now. We've got the the inexperienced names with the very experienced names, but a lot of talent. And I think when you look across the board, some teams have gambled on experience. Yeah. Eddie Jones has definitely gone with gambling on youth and potential. Yeah. And there's obviously the, the big gamble as well in leaving out Cipriani. 
Um, I mean, what, what, what do you make of that omission? Well, we've spent four years talking about Danny Cipriani. <laughs> it, it doesn't take me to tell you that Eddie Jones doesn't rate Danny Cipriani. Yeah. We, we all know that now. Um, we knew that the chances of him going to Japan were slim, but perhaps we didn't think he'd be axed from the squad quite yeah. so early in the summer. But yeah. I'm, I'm very keen now that Danny Cipriani is gone. And we, we move on because it has move on. It's we, dominated discussion, hasn't it? We know he's not on that emergency backup list. Uh, yeah. Danny himself confirmed as much pretty pretty much with his statement when he left. Yeah. So I like to think that's the last time I'm going to mention Danny Cipriani <laughs> during this World Cup. I fear it's not going to be. <laughs> what about the the group stage and in particular the, the France match? You, you feel, given the, the quality of, the, of their opponents, that match in particular will be an indicator of how, how far... England will go in the knockout stages, assuming <laughs> that they that, that they get there. Yeah, it's a bit of a tricky one, really, because the summer's been good for England, but yeah. we haven't really seen the best of them in terms of what they need to produce, and we're not going to for quite a while. They've got Tonga first, and then four days later, the USA, so that's going to be much more a test of squad depth and how they recover with that four days break. You know, mm. England have never really had to cope with that before because they've been one of the major nations that played at weekends. Yeah. That's different this time around and they've got to cope with that. So we're not really going to get a sense of a full strength England until the Argentina game, possibly France. And that Argentina game will be crucial because that will determine whether England are already through to yeah. the pool stage and have, don't have to worry too much about France or if they have to go hell for leather and beat the French, which you don't really want to come down to a one-on-one winner goes through because yeah. France can turn up. We've seen that. And a, and a last question for you on the topic of England. How do you think we're going to do? What's your prediction? Well, as the group stages go, you'd like to think that England are the seeded, the top seeds in that group. They should make it through. You'd like to think they'd make it through in top spot. Um, I would back them for that. I think they should still have enough to see off France and Argentina. Yeah. And the fact they've got the weak break between those two games helps them. Yeah. Um, final setup. You know, the, they could end up against Wales. They'd probably end up against Australia if they mm. if it goes according to plan, according to the rankings, so to speak. But Eddie knows that England have to get to the semi-finals. Yeah. The RFU have said as much. If he doesn't get to the semi-finals, that's it. You break, break contract, you're out. Yeah. I think if they get to the semi-finals only, Eddie Jones will still be one disappointed man. Yeah. He, he wants to win it. But for me, the semi-finals is progress. The way they're looking up, a final appearance is not out of the question, but I think set the bar at semi-finals and see where they go. Yeah, no, I'm looking forward to it. So let's move away from England, take a look at Wales. And Sam, you've got a good look at them through the summer. Is it fair to say that it's very much a story of Warren Gatland's farewell to all this, this tournament? Uh, yeah, ab- absolutely. Yeah, obviously he's, he's stepping down at the end of, end of Japan, so he, he'll, he will want to end on a high note. Um, and there have been high hopes surrounding uh, the team heading into Japan. Um, Gatlin himself said this summer that this will be the strongest squad he's ever taken to a World Cup. You know, high praise from from a man who has been in charge of the national side since 2007. Um, personally, I think that the three key factors that come into play uh, compared to Wales campaign, particularly at the 2015 um, edition. First one is experience. They've got 13 players uh, with World Cup caps and nine lines among the squad. So that experience on the international stage, you know, where, you know, where the pressure is going to be immense, will be invaluable. Then there's the depth. Gatlin has a wealth of options at his disposal, meaning he's going to be able to mix, uh, mix and match his teams uh, for the group stages, depending on the opponents that they're facing. So this can help keep the players fresh for the later stages. And then you've got the Welsh fighting spirit. Uh, I think this will be one, 
one of Gatlin's sort of key lag, uh, key legacies. So sort of, you know, once he steps steps down from the job, there's a sort of real resilience and never say never say die attitude to the Welsh side at the moment. I think they particularly showed that against Ireland um, in the, one of the World Cup warm-ups. Um, Sam Warburton also spoke about how they've they've since dropped their reputation as being as being underdogs. And I think you can see that in, in the way Wales are playing now. They really believe in themselves. Um, and I think that resilience is going to sort of serve them very well, uh, particularly in those games at the World Cup where the, the margins are really fine. So is it all positives or are there a couple of negatives there? Um, there's been concerns over the set piece, uh, particularly the scrum. I think that's been an issue for, for Wales throughout much of the summer. So that's something they'll need to address um, in the days Build, uh, before their first game. Um, and injuries have obviously stripped them of uh, a number of key players, such as Faletau um, and Anscombe, who, have undoubtedly, who will have unda- undoubtedly have given Wales that, that extra edge. Yeah, I mean, um, they're, they're it, both starters, yeah, aren't they, straight exactly. away? Yeah, um, exactly. But then again, you know, they can take comfort from the sight of Alan Wynne-Jones in his fourth World Cup. Um, I mean, he's absolutely immense, isn't he? He's going to bring so much experience, composure... Um, he, he will be a, a real figure for the players to sort of rally around um, in those, yeah, again, in those moments where games are, w- are won and lost. Those key areas that we've seen with the Lions, we've seen with Wales, are the, I, th- I think it's a real testament to Jones's, well, essentially his captaincy, because we knew he had these moments in the locker. You think of the 2009 mm. Lions tour, he was brilliant on that tour, but he's really developed in these last four years post-Warburton. You mm. know, he's, he's been fantastic for Wales mm. and really someone you'd, you'd follow into battle yeah, and exactly. lay down your life for. Yeah. But yeah, I, I mean, you feel that uh, Gatlin's legacy will be enshrined, you know, if, if his team do well in the Japan. I mean, I'm thinking maybe a semi-final berth. Um, but w- with expectations so high, there is obviously a lot of scope for disappointment, once again, for, for the Welsh national team. Well, Gatlin's also been very keen to talk up Wales's chances. So someone that... We were talking up maybe 12 months ago was Ireland. You know, mm. They'd just beaten the All Blacks. They were reigning Six Nations Grand Slam champions. It was all looking rosy over the Irish Sea. And suddenly things feel a little bit different. We have um, Joe Schmidt leaving, yep. like Gatland. Yep. Uh, we know that Andy Farrell is taking over. Farrell's already in the camp as defensive mm. coach. Uh, in my mind, that shouldn't be as big a factor as some people are making out. You know, the You've got that seamless transition already. Yeah, in no, place. I agree. There, there is that consistency in place. So suggestions that maybe with Schmidt leaving is is been quite a disruptive um, element to to the Irish team. I think we should be we should downplay that. Um, but I mean, like you said, 2018 was Ireland's year. They stormed to victory in the Six Nations. They they beat New, New Zealand. There was a lot of talk of them being the genuine sort of favourites for the World Cup. Um, but then obviously 2019 has been a very different ball game. Um, their, their, their form has been patchy. It feels like teams have figured out how to beat them. So maybe the, the, I feel the argument that this four-year cycle that Schmidt had been working through had, yeah, it peaked too early for them. So now moving into 2019 to Japan, there, there's vulnerabilities, there's cracks. Um, and they're, yeah, they're no longer a sure bet, I, I don't think. How about in terms of their physical fitness? It's it's one thing that Ireland have been very good at mm. in the first three years of this four-year cycle. And from the first game in Dublin in the Six Nations to the warm-ups, I don't really feel like that's been the case. Yeah, no, no, I agree. Uh, fitness, 
does seem to be an issue, um, particularly with sort of the Cardiff game, um, sort of the closing quarters of that match. They they seem to be flagging a little bit, um, as, as as Wales sort of fought back in that game and came close to sort of. Um, taking the win, but um, we certainly saw what happened in the second half against England as well. Yeah, they were blown out. The, yeah, out the game. Um, exactly. But they get, then again, I, I feel there's something to be said for the fact that okay, well, let's take a look at England um, during the summer. You know, they they look really sharp on point, but maybe it, it's the case that when it gets to the knockout stages of the World Cup, that their fitness might be the one that's struggling a little bit, having peaked maybe too early, and it could be the case that Ireland are waiting for the right moment to to hit that peak, and that could be. Yeah, the knockout stages in Japan. Um, so I don't know. It, it, it's one we'll have to see how, how it pans out. If, if you're um, an Irish fan, you're hoping it's early days. Yeah. We're, we're still a long way out from the start of the yeah, World exactly, Cup, let alone of the business end. So, you know, there's still a lot of work to be done and a lot of time. I think it's fair to say that if they are going to have any success, it's going to depend largely on Conor Murray and Johnny Sexton. Yeah. They're very dependent on that halfback pairing, but we've seen recently that when they're not there, it does kind of fall apart a bit. Um mm. Can Ireland have any chance, realistically, of making the semi-finals, the final, if those two aren't firing on all cylinders? I mean, as you said it yourself, Ireland do have a dependency on the pair. Um, they're probably too dependent on them. I mean, if one of them gets injured, it, who are their options? Um, yeah, well, we already who, seen. Who, who can we bring in? Who can they bring in to sort of maintain the game plan that, that Ireland currently to? Deploys. Um, we've seen Carberry's already injured. He's going in with yep, an injury. A risk. Um, Carty, McGrath. You feel <laughs> would they be able to maintain that same level uh, in the absence of either um, Sexton or Murray? I'm not so sure. Okay. Well, that's England, Wales, and Ireland taken care of. After the break, we'll be discussing Scotland and looking at the other teams we're expecting to see perform well in Japan. 
unlike Ireland, they're a team that aren't really worried about legacy. They're very much in it to win it. And they look to be in a pretty good place under Gregor Townsend. Is that fair to say? Yeah, no, I agree. Um, I feel uh, with Scotland, they're perhaps working beyond Japan. Uh, with Towns, uh, Townsend and his backroom staff having signed up to 2021 uh, the earliest. And you um, expect them to stay, I think. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. If, so, if the Lions come calling, that may sway Townsend, but they're not going to want to lose yeah. him, are they? Um, you feel that sights could be set on maybe 2023. Um, it feels like they've been given a, a two-cycle provision with Japan, an opportunity for the side to build upon recent prog- uh, progress, put in a good showing and, and, and prove that they have what it takes to sort of compete on, on the highest stage. Um but both Scotland and Ireland, obviously, uh, will need to be cautious of Japan, I think. Um, I mean, although the two home, those two home nations are favourites to progress from Group A, the hosts will be a danger. So they completely beat Fiji at the summer, won the Pacific Nations Championship, ch- championship sorry, uh, beat South Africa four years ago. Um, and every, uh, everyone was raving about Fiji, weren't they? And yeah. And went under the radar a bit. That yeah. Japan well and truly stuffed them. Yeah. Um, and obviously they're going to have the backing uh, as the home nation. So, yeah, I think there's potential to rock the boat. But still, you know, Scotland have got uh, incredible players in the shape of Finn Russell and Stuart Hogg, who I know you're a big fan of. Yeah, I, I, I want to talk about that a little bit. And everyone seems to, well, not seems to, everyone says that this team revolves around Finn Russell, which is completely fair, and it does. Mm. If, if he is given the time to show his full talent, Scot- immense, yeah. yeah, Scotland's not play some pretty sublime rugby but I feel like this is getting to crunch time for Hogg now he's only 27 so you'd argue that he probably does have another World Cup Mm. at least in him Um, but we just kind of look at 2015 that was supposed to be the the real breakthrough tournament for him and didn't happen and then 2017 the Lions tour it it looked like he was going to oust Lee Halfpenny or Liam Williams for the 15 shirt and then he got knocked Mm. out by his own player in Connor Murray with that unfortunate elbow when it seems to need to happen, it doesn't. You know, 2018 against Ireland, he gets knocked out of the game again in the first five minutes. I'm just worried that this sublime talent, you know, this world-class player on the biggest stage might not get the chance to do yeah. it. And I now think that 2019, this is a big year. This is the time for Stuart Hogg to stand up and show yeah. what he's fully capable of. Yeah. You know, a lot of people talk about Liam Williams at Wales, who has been fantastic. Now, Stuart Hogg is coming to Exeter next season. Those two are going to be in direct competition in the two biggest teams in the Premiership. So English heads are going to start taking notice of this. And I think it's something we need to look out for at the World Cup. Is Stuart Hogg the player that we think he is? Mm. You know, can he stand up and be counted at the biggest moments? I personally think yes. You know, watching him is absolutely a delight. Mm. And it has been for the last four years. Yeah. I want to see it at a World Cup, and I want to see it when it matters most, when all the eyes are, of the world are on him. Yeah, yeah, we'll have to see how he fares. So, looking at the rest, um, we should probably take a close look at the Southern Hemisphere nations, and <laughs> we've got the Rugby Championship in the bank, so plenty to draw on from what they're doing. A uh, good place is always to start with the All Blacks. Are they as vulnerable as people are suggesting? Because it's easy to say they're in patchy form. Are they in patchy form? And... Have they actually got weaknesses that teams can expose? Um, uh, realistically, New Zealand remain the favourites to, to win in, in Japan. I think it's it's as simple as that. Um, yes, there, there were doubts over the side um, at one point in the summer. They obviously drew with South Africa and were then beaten by Australia. Um, and in the wake of those results, you could argue it sort of shattered that aura of invincibility that they normally sort of carry about them. Um, obviously, they hit back against Australia, 
uh, winning 32 now, was it? Yeah, 36. Uh, 36. Um, So, yeah, on the back of that, they remain the team to beat um, for me personally. Yeah. The, the, The standout thing for me very much is through the entire rugby championship, Steve Hansen has been experimenting. We've seen mm. Sam Kane and Ardi Tavea at flanker, you know, the double open side that we've seen England go to. We have seen Richie Moanga at fly half and Bowden Barrett, not, well, I'd say arguably the best fly half in the world, but there's a couple who would rival him. But we're talking the world player of the year. You know, we, according to the people that matter, yeah. he is the world's best rugby player and he's playing out of position at 15. You know, Han- Hansen is finding a few other weapons in his armoury. Mm. And all that has led to is a draw with South Africa and a defeat to the Wallabies when they were reduced to 14 men after Scott Barrett's red card. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a case that a few teams are clutching at straws with this whole vulnerability. Yeah. And if Maybe we get to... People getting ahead of themselves a little bit. Completely. If we get to yeah. semi-final time, we're going to see Barrett at 10. We're going to see the players where they're meant to be playing. Yeah. Ben Smith at 15. You know, we did see the Moanga barrett combination click in that final game against Australia the one they won so I mean if that's working as well plan B's finally got a tick next to it I kind of think the All Blacks are looking pretty strong Mm. possibly stronger than they were going into 2015 but saying that it's a World Cup I'm I'm not about to say that means give it to the All Blacks now as the the Kiwi press like to remind us of their headlines of course not Um, I I think they're looking pretty handy I'm I'm trying to think back to to when England played them uh, sort of was that last last, last autumn uh, the yeah. 15 16 win yeah. for the all blacks so england showed that they're capable of, of being pushed certainly right, right, right to the one edge. referee's decision there on an offside and mm. england win and it's another defeat yeah. there are that that's how you you go into the world cup yeah. that's, every team can be beaten but there's one team out there that gets beaten a whole lot less than all the others and, <laughs> and it's new zealand yeah um so their opening weekend game and i think this is one game you've highlighted as being the standout game as the pool stage. Yes, they yeah, play the I'm, I'm going to be there. It's, it's going to be a good one. That's going to um, be quite a cracker in Yokohama, isn't it? Yes, yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. Um, one th- one thing that we'll we'll just bring up now for the Springboks, mm. they were looking pretty handy. They they've had a few issues, shall we say, on on the lead up. <laughs> I mean, Afuidi Antony, the Lord 2018 World Rugby Breakthrough Player of the Year. He's failed a drugs test. He's out of the squad um, and he looks like he's facing a ban. And then there's the allegations against star player Eben Etzebeth. I mean, it, it hasn't been smooth for the Springboks, has it? No. No, as you say, it's been a bit of a bumpy ride uh, leading up to Japan. Uh, and as we've already mentioned, to make matters more difficult, I suppose, they yeah they have the issue of, or the challenge of, of facing New Zealand uh, in the opening game of the group stages. Um Whereas their rivals have a relatively easy start heading in, into the group stages, for them, you feel they absolutely need to hit the ground running. Um, if they win, I think it will send a massive statement to, to their title rivals. Uh, with that under their belt, you feel they could go all the way, definitely. But if, if they lose, uh, and if it's a heavy loss, I feel it could be quite a big psychological blow, one which they might not necessarily recover from. Oh, well, Maybe that's probably going too far, but it, it, I feel it could hinder their form moving forward. Whereas if it's the reverse uh, result, so i.e. Uh, New Zealand lose, uh, you know they've got they've got it in them to to bounce back, move on, 
and, and re- return to the heights that we know they're capable of. So, let, me, let me put it to you this way. Would a South African victory in that game mean more for South Africa than a New Zealand victory yeah. would mean for New Zealand? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I feel that's... It's basically yeah. a statement game, isn't yeah. it? They go out there, they can win the World Cup yeah. in Springboks, but if they lose, it's going to be pretty hard to come mm. over that mental hurdle. Yeah. Um, that brings us to the Wallabies, the, the World Cup enigma that is Australia. Um, the Israel Falau controversy is still very fresh in the memory, and mm. that's a legal battle that's going to roll on well into next year and at this rate, probably into the, the following year. Uh, on so the pitch, well, yeah, <laughs> uh, like the Danny Cipriot, uh, we've mentioned him there. <laughs> yeah. Let's move on. Let's leave that. On the pitch, I think they're looking pretty good. Uh, they seem to be going in the right direction. Yeah, yeah it feels like they've rediscovered their form or are rediscovering it um, at the right time. Obviously, they thumped, well, not thumped, uh, sorry, they were, they were thumped by New Zealand in the return fixture. But that first win over the All Blacks um, showed what they're capable of as a team. So if they can repeat that sort of performance in Japan, then you feel it's it's open game. You know they can beat anyone. Um, and for a a group of players who haven't won anything that much note, um, that win will have done their mentality no end of favours. Uh, they faced tough competition from from Wales, who they beat four years ago, uh, as well as Fiji, who've shown that they have the potential to spring a surprise. So, yeah, I, um, my predictions for Australia. Expect to see them go through? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and if they if they do go through, it's a potential England quarterfinal or maybe a France-Argentina. Yeah. Ar- but I think one thing that we've learnt with the Wallabies is they all have three years of crisis and we'll all talk about how we need to rebuild Australian rugby from the ground up mm. and then suddenly the influx of players coming back from Europe uh, after their lucrative contracts mysteriously come to an end and they <laughs> sign new ARU deals. We've seen that with James O'Connor. We've seen Matt Tamua come back. Yeah. You know, plenty of players come back. and there's Always also that lift. Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> they, they become a, suddenly a World Cup beast to, to look out for. They, they made it to the final four years ago where they, they looked pretty terrible in the lead-up to it and then suddenly they nearly beat New Zealand. You know, They, they gave a good fist yeah. of it at Twickenham. But... Another key factor for them is the return of David Pocock. If they can get him up and running and fit, you know, big question marks over him. He hasn't played in a long time, yeah. but we know how good a player he is. Yeah, and seeing him and uh, Michael Hooper on the same pitch together is, trust it's me, it's, it's, yeah, <laughs> it's pretty joyful to watch. Well, that's about it for now. We'll be back next week from the England camp in Miyazaki with the latest news from Japan. Remember to subscribe to this series on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, wherever you listen for all the latest from the competition and we'll see you next time. Goodbye. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 